Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Kyra Mann, CEO of MitoAction, and I'm honored to be your host for today's town meeting. As we finally start to see a return to a new normal, we look forward to being back in person this year with many of our support programs, conferences, and we can't wait to see our families and colleagues. Through so much uncertainty of the past few years, we've continued to move forward as a community to support one another, to work collaboratively with a singular goal, to get closer to approved therapies and one day a cure of mitochondrial disease. We are so excited to have each of you here with us today to share the victories of 2022 and look forward for what's to come in 2023. There are so many great initiatives in the works and great things on the horizon. The patient advocacy groups, clinicians, researchers, and individuals who all work tirelessly to support our families continue to press forward to ensure that our families are supported. One thing I'd like to share with our families is that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, somewhere in the world, there is a light on in a lab where therapy, a cure for mitochondrial disease, is one step closer to being unveiled. So before we start today, a few housekeeping items. All of our presenters, please make sure your videos are off and muted until it's your turn to share. To our attendees, if you have questions, please use the Zoom chat feature at the bottom of your screen or feel free to text me at 248-797-2399. If you're joining us by phone, you can email info at mitoaction.org. Today's call will be recorded and available later this afternoon at www.mitoaction.org and on our podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. We will also have a written summary that will be available in the coming weeks on the MitoAction website. We have a full agenda today and are looking forward to hearing from the various organizations within our community about their highs from 2022 and your plans for this coming year. I'm excited to give you an update on the successes at MitoAction in 2022 and how we are continuing to grow in the ways we serve the Mito community. Our small but mighty team has been hard at work inspired by our community, never losing sight of the fact that our families depend on us and always making every decision with you as the priority. In 2022, we responded to thousands of requests from support through our MITO 411 support program from constituents across the globe. Our reach continues to expand to even remote parts of the world where patients are desperately seeking support and access to quality care. This holiday season, we gifted more than 125 Mito children and their siblings with Mito Santa's holiday gifts to ensure that our Mito kids didn't go without during the holidays. Our third annual International Metabolic Conference for families affected by FAOD was in person for the first time in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh. Attendees from 20 countries joined Mito Action to hear from leading experts from around the globe, families connected with one another, and the kids had a blast in their interactive sessions. This year's event will be the last weekend in July in Denver, Colorado. In addition to the conference, MitoAction will continue to expand how we support the FAOD community through new educational content and support opportunities. We recently published a set of FAOD disease fact sheets, a new FAOD patient kit, and we will be launching a community-wide FAOD survey in February. 
Hillary from our team will give you more details on our WISH program, but we're excited to share that this year we granted six life-changing WISH trips to families through our partnership with, with Give Kids the World Village in Orlando, Florida. These once-in-a-lifetime WISH trips will help families recapture some of the precious moments that they may have missed due to hospital stays or illness because of mitochondrial disease. If you're interested in nominating a family or your own family, be sure to visit the MitoAction website to submit an application, which will open again in February. The Matthew Hardy Camper Fund has now awarded more than 80 scholarships to students with Mito who are pursuing a college degree totaling more than $150,000. Our Mito students have attended colleges such as Boston University, University of Michigan, and the University of Florida. The Mito Action team has taken a much more active role in legislative advocacy, signing onto dozens of bills to support the interests of the rare disease community, serving on legislative committees with various advocacy organizations, and spending time meeting face-to-face with key legislators. Our team has been working hard to establish a Rare Disease Advisory Council in Michigan and supporting some of our families who are taking an active role with RDACs in their local communities. We will have more opportunities for the community to raise your voices in the coming months through our Mito Champions program, which Stephanie will share more about in a few minutes. My Mito has made a huge impact for our community, and we continue to consider ways to expand this data platform. Currently, we have over 900 individuals enrolled on the platform, tracking their day-to-day with Mito, creating a coordinated care environment all while providing critical de-identified data for researchers and scientists. We encourage our families to sign up for MyMito to not only help manage your day-to-day journey with MyMito, but now make an impactful contribution to research for mitochondrial disease. We'll be launching new features to enhance our users' experience, access to de-identified data, and new ways for users to interact with one another through the platform. For more information, you can visit our website and search MyMito. We continue to work with our industry partners and researchers to expand how MitoAction represents the patient voice in therapy development, and we look forward to sharing news regarding several new partnerships in late Q1. And finally, our new website will launch in just a few weeks. These are just some of the many highlights of the exciting opportunities we are working on at MitoAction, and we invite you to reach out to us to learn more and about the ways for you to get involved. Next to share more about our support initiatives is the leader of our patient support team, Stephanie Harry. Hi, again, my name is Stephanie Harry, and I'm so excited to be here. I'm one of the patient support coordinators here at MitoAction. And what that means is, is that I have the honor and pleasure of answering Mito 411 phone calls and emails and walking alongside people on their journey, whether that means um, helping them to find a doctor or helping them process their new mito diagnosis or FAAD diagnosis, um, or just be a listening ear. You never know, um, you never know what the journey will look like, but it's a special place to be able to walk through it together. I also have the honor and privilege of helping to lead our support groups, which happen once um, once a week, every Friday at noon. And we also have FAAD support groups that happen twice a month on the second and fourth Thursday of the month. 
In addition to that, in this new year, I'm super, super excited for Wonderful Wednesdays. Devin Schumann is going to join us, and it's going to be a session where you can ask the genetic counselor. And so we're really, really excited about this program. And we're also excited to walk alongside um, some of our patients who are piloting a young adult support group and also a CPEO support group um, in the coming year. In addition to that, as Kyra mentioned, we have a group called Mito Champions. And this is a special group of volunteers that come together once or twice a month. And we discuss um, things like political advocacy and community awareness and education. And it's a time for us to um, get together, to, to talk, to see what we're doing in the community, what more we can do in the community. And what I love about the Mito Champion group is, is not just ama- how amazing the volunteers are, but also just this space that we have for everybody to share their wisdom. And it's a fluid group, which means that programs are constantly being developed. Things um, will move forward as the volunteers um, have different ideas and are excited to move through the community. Thank you, Kyra. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And next up to share a little bit more about some of our patient support programs is one of our key patient support coordinators, Susie Scheller. Welcome, Susie. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm here to tell you about three more patient support programs. They're mitosocials, playdates, and peach packages. And the strength of MitoAction is that we are patient-centered And we draw strength both from the patients and we give strength to the patients through these programs. And um, remember the ones my uh, colleague Stephanie Harry just spoke of, and then add these. Mitosocials are like support groups, but they have more of a local basis because we need to come together so that we can share notes about experiences in hospitals or local resources that are available. Like one example is um, in my metasocial group in Indiana, one day I was having a bad day and um, somebody saw me in the grocery store and and we knew we both have Mido. And I said, I'm having a bad day. And they go, you need some coconut oil. And I really did. And I forgot all about it. So that's an example. Metasocials can help people connect in a more local way. With the play dates, children need to connect and children have been as we know, um, separated due to the COVID and the risks with the infections. So um, we can connect um, sometimes locally, sometimes on Zoom. And it's amazing when a child connects with another child with Mido, all of a sudden they're not isolated anymore. And these playdates are really important for their social development because we are social creatures, whether we're adults or children. And the last one is Peach Packages. And the name comes from my colleague Genevieve Woods, and um, she has made care packages. So if you have a patient or you have somebody you know, or you're a patient yourself and you really need a care package, just contact us through um, the Mito 411 or you can find Genevieve and request a peach package. It is an item on our website. And what this means, it's a care package to help you hold on when you feel so drained. And when Genevieve was a little baby, Um, She was born with some um, atypical signs of uh, neuro um, disease, and they were going to um, make her a ward of the state. And her mother said, oh, no, she is my perfect peach. 
And that's where she got the name for the peach packages. And she really wants to help people. So you're drawing from her strength. She's an adult and, um, you know, it's an amazing how she was seen one way and how things turned out another because of the strength of her mother. So those are those three um, mitosocials, playdates and peach packages. And um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Susie. I appreciate it. And next up will be Hillary Romke to share about our upcoming events. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Kyra. Thanks so much. Hi, everybody. Um, as Kyra mentioned, my name is Hillary Romke. I am the newest addition to the team. Um, I'm the director of programs and special events. So I'm super excited about the year ahead and what's in store for the community. Um, I know Kyra briefly mentioned that we have rebranded our wish trips as Dahlia's Wish. Um, it's been named in honor of Dahlia Flaggart, the daughter of board member Jessica Fine and her husband, Rob Flaggart. Um, Dahlia unfortunately passed away one week after her 17th birthday. And um, one of her greatest childhood memories was her family's wish trip to give kids the world village. So we have dedicated this program to Dahlia in hopes of providing other children with Mito an unforgettable trip of a lifetime. Um, we're so excited to be opening applications soon, and we encourage everyone to apply. Uh, one of the reasons that Mito Action felt so strongly about this program is because uh, Make-A-Wish and other WISH organizations were actually denying our families, and we wanted to make sure that this type of program was accessible to our Mito families. Um, so please apply. Next, we have the Matthew Hardy Camper Fund Scholarship, which is awarded to high school seniors or currently enrolled college students with a diagnosis of mitochondrial disease. Um, and it is continuing to honor the life of Matthew Hardy, the incredible son of our board president, Paul, and his wife, Sarah Hardy. Um, these scholarships, uh, the applications will open February 1st. We encourage anyone who is eligible to apply and to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. So we've been very impressed with our scholarship awardees from 2022, and we've been in touch with them. They continue to update us on their bright futures ahead, um, and we're thrilled to be able to support the young adults in our community as they are continuing their education. Um, we are currently ramping up the planning for this year's Sander K. Russell Derby Day Benefit for Mito on May 6th. We're super excited. There's a new venue this year. It's going to be at Memoir at Encore Boston Harbor. So get ready for big hats, bow ties, mint juleps, and an incredible night to remember. Um, to date, Derby Day has raised over $1.3 million towards improving the lives of our Mito patients and families through scholarships, sending kids to summer camp, and our Dahlia's Wish program, among other things. So ticket sales will be opening very soon. Please keep an eye out, and we hope that you'll join us. And I just also wanted to give a quick shout out to Sandra's family, her husband, and our board member, Gordon, along with her wonderful children and our SKR Derby Day committee for all of their hard work to make this event a success. Um, stay tuned for upcoming details for this year's Energy Walks. Um, again, they'll be in Boston, Rochester, and Syracuse. We had a fantastic turnout this year with increased attendance at all three walks from um, last year, and we look forward to seeing this program grow even more in 2023. Uh, lastly, I just wanted to touch on the Marcel's Way Family Fund, which offers direct financial support to Mito families. 
Um, you can apply online for grants-based assistance to help lessen the burden of costs associated excuse me, with medications, services, and medical equipment. Um, applications for this are rolling, so they're always open to our families to apply. Um, and lastly, if you would like more information on attending or perhaps even hosting your own event, please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me, Hillary, H-I-L-A-R-Y, at mitoaction.org. So I look forward to serving you in the year ahead. Thanks so much, Kyra. Thank you so much, Hillary. As you can see, we've been extremely busy at Mito Action, working hard every day to continue to grow our programs and to serve our families to the best of our ability. So starting us up next with our guest speakers, I would like to welcome Rini McCarthy, who is the CEO of Stealth Biotherapeutics. Welcome, Rini. Thanks so much, Kara, and Happy New Year to everyone. We're thrilled to um, be here today with the Mito Action team and the Mito community to kick off the year. Um, so if you can see my slides, I really wanted to take the opportunity to give everyone an update on our phase three clinical trial in primary mitochondrial myopathy that's called New Power, and it's currently recruiting patients. So key takeaways I'd like you to take from this short talk is that at Stealth, we've been developing mitochondrial targeted therapeutics for more than 15 years. Our lead compound, elamipratide, has demonstrated proof of mitochondrial target engagement, um, including by improving clinical endpoints. So that's how patients actually feel and function. And we've seen that in the setting of mitochondrial myopathy, and we've really enriched our current trial based on experience from three previous placebo-controlled trials in primary mitochondrial myopathy so that we can enrich for patients most likely to respond to therapy. So again, preclinically, we've seen that alamipratide can improve mitochondrial structure and function across multiple models, but most importantly, in the clinic, so in patients, we've seen that alamipratide is engaging with the mitochondria and leading to clinical benefit in diseases like Barth syndrome, which is a primary mitochondrial disease, and primary mitochondrial myopathy due to nuclear genetic mutations, which is what we're studying in new power and in geographic atrophy. Another important consideration with drugs that are obviously experimental is that from a safety and tolerability perspective, over 1,400 patients have been exposed to elamipratide with some patients with primary mitochondrial disease on therapy for more than four years. So as I mentioned, we're in the clinic with new power. Why are we doing this trial? Um, our MM Power study was the largest ever placebo-controlled trial in mitochondrial myopathy and in a very large subgroup, um, also really probably the largest to report results of 59 patients with nuclear genetic defects, uh, we did see a significant improvement in exercise tolerance. And that was also associated with the amount of drug in the plasma for these patients. In terms of who's eligible, I encourage you to look at clinicaltrials.gov, but in a nutshell, we really designed this trial based on who best responded in our last program. So those are patients aged 18 to 70 with mitochondrial myopathy due to nuclear DNA mutations, such as PULG, Twinkle, and the others listed here. Um, we also found that it was uh, patients were more likely to respond if they also had CPEO. So that is also something we're looking for in enrolling this trial. In terms of the details of study participation, this is a one-year clinical trial. After your screening and baseline visits, visits are essentially every 12 weeks. 
We do reimburse for travel and costs associated with participating in the trial. You shouldn't ever have to pay to participate in clinical research. Um, and we're also going to offer patients the option to enroll in our expanded access program to obtain access to elimipratide therapy after the trial is complete. If you're interested in learning more, we know there are other trials recruiting. Um, I think there's only one other currently recruiting for patients with nuclear genetic mutations. Um, but if you're interested, you should really discuss the particulars of these trials, including the efficacy and safety information that's available for the compounds under investigation before making your decision. We do hope to get this trial fully enrolled within the next few months. So if you're interested, the time is really now. So as I mentioned in our MMPower trial, for patients with nuclear genetic mutations, there were 59 of them. As compared to placebo, we saw a significant improvement in six-minute walk for these patients. Um, importantly, when we enrich for some of the criteria that we're looking at in our new power trial, um, that difference in the six-minute walk test is even more significant um, and, and at greater magnitude. So again, we've really taken these learnings in designing this next trial. I would note that we also have um, some experience with patients on expanded access uh, on elamipertide, including a patient who's profiled on the right on this slide who was enrolled in our MM Power clinical trial. So these data come from an expanded access case study report um, by Dr. Koenig. Um, but for this particular patient, he perceived some benefit during the MM Power trial. He felt he regressed in his symptoms after going off of MM of therapy. And then when he went back on, and expanded access um, experienced, again, some improvements, particularly when the dose was increased to 60 milligrams, which is the dose we're using in the new power clinical trial. Quick mention of Barth syndrome, another um, primary mitochondrial disease due to nuclear genetic defects, which also presents with exercise intolerance and fatigue. In long-term therapy in Barth syndrome, um, more than 50% of the patients who were enrolled long-term in an open-label extension were determined to have no signs or symptoms of disease on the um, clinician global symptom assessment. Um, and so we also observed that while heart function, which is also impaired for these patients, is expected to decline in the natural course of this disease, we actually saw a greater than 40% improvement in cardiac function with long-term therapy. We've tried to open sites across the country to make it easier for patients to participate. So here you can see our heat map of clinical trial sites in the U.S., um, I would note that we are also recruiting globally with sites across Europe, as well as in Australia and New Zealand. So again, just to finish up, uh, we have extensive experience with alamipratide in multiple clinical trials. It's been generally well tolerated. Uh, we have demonstrated clinical signals of mitochondrial target engagement, as well as clinical benefit across several different disease indications, including mitochondrial myopathy due to nuclear genetic mutations. And so we've really designed our new power trial, which is currently enrolling, to optimize our enrollment criteria, hopefully to target the patients who are most likely to derive benefit. And so with that, I'll turn it back to Kira and uh, thank you for um, the time today. 
Thanks, Rainy. We appreciate you so much. And I do hope that you and the team at Stealth know how incredibly grateful we are for your perseverance, right? Because things haven't always been easy, but you guys have not given up on this community. And no, we- and it's how we learn. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Rainy. We appreciate you. Okay, next up, we've got Paul Wynn, who is the Senior Director of Patient Advocacy for Ultragenics Pharmaceutical. Welcome, Paul. Hey, hey, Kara. Thanks so much. It's great to see everyone. Happy New Year. I uh, hope everyone's year is off to a good start. I am Paul Wynn, as Kyra mentioned. Uh, I'm on the patient advocacy team at Ultragenics, and we're excited to be here on behalf of the company to continue our support for not only the mitochondrial community, but for specifically the LCFAOD community in the new year. I really wanted to highlight two main areas um, today, our online resources and our ongoing disease monitoring program, which I'll explain in a minute. As many of you know, we offer several online resources for the community to really improve their journey with LCFAOD. Our unbranded website is faodinfocus.com, which is available in English and Spanish. Um, There's a lot of downloadable on-demand resources and content that you should check out. Uh, There's many popular pieces. One of the more popular is an LCFAOD quiz. I promise it's not a multiple, multiple choice test. It's just a quiz to help you monitor your symptoms and identify topics to discuss with your healthcare team during your appointments. We have great tools for use during office visits on how to talk to doctors about your disease and your symptoms, uh, including a medical history sheet to keep it up to date with your history, what you're seeing, what's changing, and how that can help with your healthcare team to make the most of your appointments and uh, changes to your treatment um, plans. The other website to check out is ultrarareadvocacy.com. This site includes stories about people living with rare and ultra-rare diseases. Uh, It's for different diseases, not just LCFOD, but there are several stories, really inspirational stories of um, patients and caregivers um, fighting the good fight with LCFAOD. I think you'll be really inspired by their stories. Uh, You can also sign up for our newsletter to receive regular updates on information from Ultragenics. What I also wanted to talk about is our disease monitoring program. We also call it the DMP. Uh, It's a bit different from what you might uh, think of as a a traditional patient registry. Uh, This is a long-term prospective observational study, and it's really designed to collect information for for at least 10 years of um, patients, adults, pediatric individuals living with LCFAOD. Uh, The study monitors your disease manifestations in all individuals with LCFAOD, regardless of your disease management. It's really to ensure consistent collection, ownership of your data in a a really robust and um, analytical way. Uh, We really want to characterize the presentation of the disease and how the disease is impacting everyone's lives. The in-clinic disease monitoring program was launched in November, 2021, and we have a number of patients that have signed up to participate. Um, It's welcome to, for anybody, um, irrespective of their treatment status, you don't have to be be treated currently to be um, accepted into the disease monitoring program. 
all six subtypes can participate, CBT1, 2, CACT, VLCAD, TFP, LCHAD, you're all welcome to participate. And we really wanna just understand the natural history of how these subtypes progress and may change over time. Uh, and the goal is to collect and share back this data with the community in order to improve care and quality of life for individuals um, affected by the disease. The in-clinic DMP is actually being enhanced as we speak. We're trying to optimize uh, the study further based on feedback from patients and caregivers experience. Uh, the protocol is being amended to add efficiency, allow even more remote participation, uh, and allow key assessments to be done locally and not always in the clinic. Uh, we're planning to add additional sites in North America, so there's more easy participation among patients. Uh, we really just want to streamline the study designs to reduce any burden that patients and caregivers may experience trying to be part of it. Uh, and really enhance the capabilities for data sharing so that we can all learn from this program. If you have any questions about the DMP, um, email us at patientadvocacy at ultragenics.com, or you can send me a note to my email address, pwynn at ultragenics.com as well. I think one final note, and I, it's really just a, a, a ask of the community. You know, you've heard a lot about the IMC meeting in Pittsburgh and how wonderful it was with all the rich presentations. But I think what also was just so powerful when I was there last year was the interactions and the camaraderie that developed during the meeting. And I think let's all play a part in making this year's IMC super successful and well attended. Um, let's spread the news about IMC through word of mouth, through support groups, through posts on social media, invite a new family affected by FAOD is seeking answers. Uh, you know, we look forward to seeing everyone in person in Denver this year. And I just want to finally note a huge thank you to Kyra and the Mito Action team for all the amazing work that you guys do. We wouldn't be a community without you. So we hope everyone has a safe and healthy start to the new year. And thanks again, everyone. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. And it has been a pleasure working with you to serve the FEOD community. And we look forward to an even bigger and better IMC this year. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Up next, we have Dave Pinnock, who is the CEO of Sol Therapeutics. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Kira. Can you see my screen? Okay, great. Yes, well, thank you all for allowing us to have a moment of your time today. I'm really excited to uh, share what we're doing at Sale Therapeutics. Um, Sale is a, a pretty mispronounced name in, in, in our business, but it means life in Gaelic. We're an Irish company. And I'm here to talk to you about our most advanced program um, and really thank the people who have helped participate in it. Um, okay. Uh, Sale Therapeutics was founded in 2015. Uh, we have about 25 employees. We have two medicines we are studying in, in four clinical trials. Um, what's uh, really interesting about our team is like almost everyone here has a heritage um, working in some version of rare diseases. And so when we built the company in 2015, we wanted to sort of get to the place where we are today, um, which is to have, you know, the opportunity to potentially bring a new medicine market to treat a rare disease. 
Um, right now, we are uh, working within pyruvate dehydrogenase complex deficiency, or PDCD. What we have really done is worked with Dr. Stackpole, whose life's work has been the study of dichloroacetate um, in rare mitochondrial disorders, um, and, and try and, underst- try and understand whether or not these can be proven to be successful in the clinic. So he initiated the processes of, of doing all the work um, to, to bring uh, this program to the clinic, had initiated several studies, um, and then had some innovation related to you know, how we make uh, p- the potential use of dichloroacetate safer. All that came together in the phase three study that we've completed enrollment for, and we'll have the answer to see if it worked in August. A little bit about PDCD. It affects 700 to 1,000 people in the United States. Um, it's a, you know, if you're, if you express clinical symptomology early in life, it's, it's, you know, really difficult uh, disease. If not, um, you know, some of it can be managed with a ketogenic diet, um, but there are no FDA approved treatments for PDCD um, and the restrictions on quality of life as well as uh, you know, diet, everything like that is is really challenging. Um, so if we are able to get dichloroacetate approved, and if these studies read out well, we'll be the first and only approved therapy um, that is out there. And we'll certainly be doing everything that we can to help the community. As we think about PDCD, it's the, you know, it's specifically a, a mitochondrial disorder of, of carbohydrate oxidation. And we think of DCA as sort of a wedge in the door to the mitochondria and potentially will will allow people to use and create energy more effectively. If that works um, and DCA is able to be successful there, then Lee syndrome patients, about 30% of them, have a genetic defect at the PDH-A1 site in addition to potential other challenges they may have, um, that this could potentially help them. And then DCA has been studied in congenital lactic acidosis. But there were some safety challenges associated with it, um, uh, and, and we think we've resolved that with a genetic test to understand each patient's dose that they need to be on that we're, we've incorporated into the current study, as well as everything that we will be studying um, as we move forward. So to kind of finalize and get, get to the point here, this is the, this is the clinical study. It's a, it's a nine-month duration study. Um, it's a crossover study. We had 34 patients and families uh, join into this study. We were hoping to recruit 30, and we were able to to, to recruit more. So thanks for everyone um, who helped us get to that point. Um, you are randomized either to active uh, medication or dichloroacetate or placebo for four months. Then there's a one-month period of washout where everyone takes placebo, and then you switch to whatever you weren't on before. Um, after that, there's an open label extension study. So, um, of the patients who have completed the study, all but one have continued on medication. Um, some of these patients, by the time we're done with the study, will be on, you know, three years or so because we had initiated right at the start of COVID, um, and then obviously slowed in enrollment through that period. Um, we, our primary endpoint is, uh, an observer reported outcome, a novel tool that's taken daily by the patient's families. We expect to get to that in August. Our last patient visit is July. It takes about a month to get all the information together to, to run the statistics. Um, and so far, we've been monitoring peripheral neuropathy and other known adverse events with uh, relation to dichloroacetate. And we've um, so far 
ha- haven't seen anything that's concerning. So, you know, we look forward to the readout um, in August. What I would say to patients that might be interested in enrolling in a study like this, um, we aren't able to enroll anyone else because we have already closed enrollment. But there is an open label study um, from Dr. Bedoyan at UPMC on um, uh, just just following the natural history of the disease. So there are about our understanding is somewhere between 50 and 100 patients that are under the care uh, and monitoring of Dr. Bedoyan, um, where they're you know following uh, and trying to understand uh, PDCD better. However, if we have positive readout. Um, and we are able to uh, uh, move forward with filing with the FDA. We're going to institute an early access program. So all the patients in that study would be able to join. Obviously, anyone here who are qualified would be able to join. Um, and we'll be working with you know whoever we can to, to make that available. So um, what I would say, if you're interested in uh, potentially joining this in August, we'll have results. Hopefully, shortly after August, we'll be instituting and initiating EAP program. The easiest way to get there might be to work through um, the uh, natural history study with Dr. Bedoya. So with that, I just want to thank everyone. Um, we couldn't you know, do this without you, without all the work that um, all the physicians have done over time to, to bring this to where it is today. Um, and uh, if you have questions, uh, please contact uh, Sue Clement. Uh, it's a big year for in 2023 for us. And thanks again for all your time. Thank you so much, Dave. We appreciate this update and we look forward to sharing more about the results um, come come August. Yeah, thank you we'll, so be ha- we'll be happy to answer any questions that we can when that time comes. So thank you so much for including us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Next, joining us with VMP Genetics is Dr. Mark Corson. Hello, Dr. Corson. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much for this opportunity. So let me tell you a little bit about VMP Genetics. Uh, we're a center of excellence with three areas of focus serving the patient and provider communities. Uh, one, direct patient care for which we see patients in the office or remotely. Two, a physician-to-physician support service providing consultative and educational assistance around metabolic disease to hospitals around the country. Uh, and three, educational programming in person and online regarding metabolic diseases, which we design and implement supported by grants from foundations, institutions, and pharmaceutical companies. So a little bit more detail from a direct patient side of things. Since COVID, we have become very uh, booked out, but we have uh, instituted a mechanism that enables those who wish to be seen sooner to move up in the schedule. In some cases, patients have been seen in clinic as soon as two weeks after first contact. Please bear with us as we transition to a new and much improved electronic health record system and patient portal. Um, Keep an eye out for updates as we roll out these changes. Um, Our physician to physician support service, we now have three clinical biochemical geneticists and one metabolic dietitian providing support to some 10 regional academic medical centers uh, in the United States. We are currently looking to add additional clinical biochemical geneticists So please pass along our info to anyone who you think might be interested um, in in learning more. Um, From an education perspective, um, this past year, we directed or participated in some 30 different educational programs in North America and beyond. We also rolled out a hybrid model of delivering education online 
uh, by combining live and pre-recorded sessions along with patient presentations. Uh, for this, we actually targeted those professionals working in metabolic clinics, but who had never received any formal metabolic training. Only physicians are, are, are really trained. Um, so we were um, um, targeting nurses, nurse practitioners, physician associates, uh, genetic counselors, and dietitians. Um, it was very well received, and uh, we're looking to provide three more um, um, this coming uh uh, winter and spring. And uh, finally, um, through grant funding, we continue to expand our patient teacher registry. These are patients and family members interested in participating in the education of physicians and health professionals around metabolic diseases. Um, we currently have about 90 patients representing 30 diseases who have presented in over 25 in-person and online um, presentations this past year alone. So um, we have, uh, there's a lot going on at VMP Genetics. Check us out at www.vmpgenetics.com uh, to learn more about our um, uh, clinical work and our educational programming. Thank, thank you, Kyra, and thank you, MitoAction, for all your support. Thank you, Dr. Corson. We appreciate you and all the work that you do for this community. Thank you so much. Next up, we have Keith McIntyre, who is the coordinator for the Inform Network. Welcome, Keith. Welcome, Kyra. And welcome, everybody. I want to thank, uh, thank you for asking me to speak today. Um, Inform is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it stands for the International Network for Fatty Acid Oxidation Research and Management. Um, we, we, we like to say that we are probably the premier site for accurate information on fatty acid oxidation disorders. And uh, we're also recognized as holding one of the premier meetings in the world, uh, collaborating face-to-face -face with international experts, presenting state-of-the-art research and sharing best practices for the treatment of fatty acid oxidation disorders. Um, the INFORM uh, meeting is broad-based. It bridges clinical and research issues. And uh, we're proud to also include patients and patient advocates. Uh, last year, we were able to hold our first meeting in person. Since the pandemic, it was held in Freiburg, Germany, along with the SSIEM that we precede every year as their satellite symposium. Um, and I think what we all walked away from at that meeting was that being in person benefits our research. It builds our trust and our friendships uh, between our institutions as well. Um, last year in FORM, we drew more people than we thought we would. Uh, we had over 115 participants from 21 different countries. Uh, those were uh, Australia, Austria, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Israel, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, the um, Republic of, of Korea, South Africa, South Georgia, and the Sandwich Islands, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, the United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, of course, the United States, and Wales. So it definitely proves that we do have an international uh, reach. One of the things that we did last year, we've, we've invited families every year, but we added a, a another component last year. And thanks to Kyra and Stephanie and uh, Dr. Marion Thiel from Germany, who's in charge of the FAOD group there, support group, we were able to have uh, four families from Germany 
uh, one from Wales and one from the U.S. Uh, participated in the conference, and we held a, um, a luncheon on Monday and had a roundtable with uh, Dr. Uta Speakerkuter and Sarah Gernert from Germany, as well as Dr. Jared Bockley um, sat, and, and they answered, did a Q&A basically for almost an hour with the families. Um, this coming year, uh, Inform is going to be uh, holding our conference in Jerusalem on, on August 27th and 28th. And it'll start on the 27th with our keynote speaker, Niels Gregerson out of Denmark, uh, followed the next day by f- eight plenary lectures and also eight junior investigator lectures, which those will be selected from our abstracts. Uh, also on Sunday evening, we will be having a poster presentation um, by anyone, anyone who submits an abstract is welcome to submit a poster. And um, we do get a give four poster awards ranging from anywhere from $500 to $1,000. And of course, we do give our junior investigators preference over those awards. Uh, If you know anybody that would be interested in submitting a FAOD abstract to inform, our uh, deadline is April 15th, and all this information can be found on our website at informnetwork.org. Also, starting this month and for five months following, although we will skip March, uh, we will be having our online lecture series. And again, anyone interested in learning more about that can uh, go to our website, go to the Professionals tab, and in the drop-down, you'll see the lecture series. They're all posted out there. Anyone interested in participating that's maybe not receiving an email from me, please send me an email and I'll see that you get on the on the uh, list for that. Also, one of the other key components of our website is the patient and families tab. And we have an ask the experts section. Um, and it's a very, very informative place for patients to go as well as caregivers. But um, most of the questions that are out there come from patients and families. And I will tell you that 98% of them are answered directly by Dr. Jerry Bockley. The other 2% are answered by Melanie Gillingham. So um, they are answering those uh, directly. And uh, so the the information they're they're getting is really from key experts in in this field. Um, So again, if you'd like to be added to the R-Inform website, uh, please just, uh, you can find my email address out there. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much, Keith. We appreciate you, and we look forward to our ongoing partnership for IMC and also for um, attending the Inform Conference and hosting patients again this year. Um, yeah, so, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have uh, Willis Chu, who is the Vice President and, of Clinical Development and Medical Affairs for Reneo Pharmaceuticals. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Kara. Hi, can everyone see my screen? Yeah, it's it's in uh, draft mode. You just need to click the presenter icon at the bottom of the screen. The pres- okay, I I did hit the share screen. Um, Do you see on the bottom of your screen where it says notes and there's one, two, three, four icons before the Zoom? Oh, um, I just shared it directly. Let me yeah, see. Like, you're just not in presenting mode. You're in editing mode in, in PowerPoint. That's all. Oh, okay. Um, I don't see. 
it should be right at, right at the bottom of your screen, the icon that's just to the left of the Zoom bar on the bottom right of your screen. Do you see that? That's it right there. That's the icon right there. Click the slideshow icon. There you go. Willis, you're, you're muted. Oh, okay. Sorry there about that. Go. Hello. Hello. Okay. Happy New Year. Sorry about that. No I, worries. That's all good. <laughs> um, as Kara mentioned, my name is Will Chow. Um, I'm pleased to uh, be here today with all of you to tell you a little bit more about Reneo's clinical programs um, in mitochondrial disorders. Before uh, diving into that, I want to give a shout out to Kira. Her son, um, you may not know, is a quarterback at the University of Michigan. I am a alum of the University of Michigan. And um, I just wanted to say go blue and, and um, hopefully we'll win it next year. Um, so diving into Reneo Pharmaceuticals, we are a biotech company in Irvine, California, with a focus on rare diseases in the mitochondrial space. Um, our lead program, let me just try to, I'm trying to advance. Okay, yes, our lead program uh, molecule is called um, REN001. The chemical name is Mavodelpar, which we recently just um, were assigned. Um, so briefly, um, REN001 or Mavodelpar is an agonist of PPAR Delta, and in turn, PPAR Delta is a transcription factor that upregulates the production, uh, the transcription of many genes involved in energy production um, and um, the respiratory chain in mitochondria. Um, so, with that in mind, um, we have two lead indications that we are focusing on. Uh, the first is primary mitochondrial myopathies, and the second is long chain fatty acid oxidation disorders. Our more advanced program is in PMM, where, where we are currently enrolling a pivotal clinical tr clinical trial called the STRIDE study. Um, and I will have more details on the next set of slides on that. Um, but we are also uh, pursuing um, uh, LC FOUD. We've completed a phase 1B proof of concept study in that and are currently uh, discussing next steps with regulators. So some more details about the STRIDE study in patients with PMM. As I mentioned, we're currently enrolling. The good news is that we're over 90% um, enrolled. The target enrollment is 200 patients. This is a randomized placebo-controlled uh, study, um, in, and it's being conducted globally. Uh, we have nine sites in the U.S., um, the states that are um, involved in this uh, range from New York, Massachusetts, California, Florida, Texas, and Pennsylvania. Um, and we also have uh, several European sites. Um, the basic inclusion criteria are um, adults um, who are at least 18 years old with a documented um, uh, mitochondrial DNA, uh, DNA defect based on genetic testing. The primary endpoint is the is a 12 minute walk test that's um, uh, that's taken at uh, month 24 
uh, sorry, week 24 or approximately month six. Um, and then the other key um, efficacy outcome measures are a variety of patient-reported outcomes that um, are assessing things like fatigue and exercise tolerance and quality of life. We also provide um, an open label extension as part of this stride study. Currently, that's available uh, only to patients in Europe, um, ex-US, but we're hoping to um, um, uh, get the FDA to uh, allow us to enroll patients in the US in the open label extension as well. So as I mentioned, uh, we have uh, global uh, sites um, with nine in the United States. Um, our goal is to complete enrollment this quarter, which would mean um, because the study is a six-month duration study, that we would have top-line results sometime towards uh, Q3 or Q4 of this year. So that's very exciting. Um, and if you would like to get more details about the STRIDE study, please go to clinicaltrials.gov. You can simply type in Reneo or STRIDE. And the uh, full details will be there, including the nine U.S. sites. Uh, I'm assuming this is a predominantly U.S. audience here. And uh, we would definitely love to have um, additional U.S. participation in our study to to complete enrollment. Uh, So now briefly about our uh, LC-FOUD program. As I mentioned, we um, have already completed a phase one uh, proof of concept study that was an open label study with a variety of um, variant mutations. Um, the primary objective of that study was safety and tolerability. We also did assess um, a walk test uh, as well as other PRO measures in that open label study. Um, and we are currently in discussions with regulators about um, moving forward with a pivotal study in LC FOUD. Uh, so that brings me to the end of my presentation. Um, I, again, on behalf of Reneo Pharmaceuticals, I would definitely like to thank uh, Mito Action, all of our patients, our caregivers, um, and the broader uh, mitochondrial disorder. It's really um, exciting to see that there's so much activity going on with my fellow panelists um, towards, towards finding solutions to this, um, this very uh, uh, serious um, unmet need. Thank you. Thank you so much, Willis. We appreciate you. Um, th- these are two really incredible studies for the LCFEOG community and the PMM community. So we will continue to update um, through the MitoAction website and our newsletter about opportunities for enrollment and updates. So we appreciate Reneo's commitment to this community. Thank you so much. Next, we have Dr. Mary Kay Koenig with the Mitochondrial Medicine Society, and she'll also give us some updates on some studies she's working on. Welcome, Dr. Koenig. Thank you, Kyra. And I was going to share my slides real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, Willis, if you can unshare your screen, that would be great. Okay, yes, we'll do. Uh, Let me just... So I want to thank Kyra for um, inviting me. Um, let's see, let me share now real quick. There we go. So you should be able to see my slides. I don't have much, but I have a little bit. Um, so thank you, Kyra, for inviting me. So I'm very pleased to be able to talk with you guys today a little bit about the Mitochondrial Medicine Society and the Mitochondrial Care Network. So I think most people are familiar with the MMS. Um, It is a group of physicians, researchers, clinicians 
who all work towards advancing um, education, research, um, and collaboration in clinical mitochondrial medicine. Um, we had our first in-person meeting uh, in 2022 in Phoenix um, in June. That was really exciting. Um, we're all happy to be able to be seeing each other in person again. We had a new board elected. Um, they elected me as president. So thank you very much, everybody. Um, Dr. Relizia Gavrilova uh, from Mayo Clinic was elected as our secretary. Dr. Fernando Scalia from Texas Children's Hospital was elected as program chair. And he is currently working with Doug Wallace and the UMDF to create a clinical program for the symposium next year. I've been very excited to see all the work they're doing on that. Um, and we uh, uh, elected an international counselor, Shamima Rahman, from the University College of London um, to help uh, facilitate communication with our international colleagues, particularly those in uh, Europe. So we've had a lot of activity that's both continued and started. Um, we have a very active listserv. I just want to make sure everyone's aware of that. Um, I think one of the things my patients ask me about a lot is how much I communicate with other mitochondrial physicians. So for people who aren't familiar, a listserv is an email group um, where people can email and it goes out to a set group of people. Our listserv is actually pretty active. Um, so anyone who sees a patient and has a question or just has a question in general about mitochondrial medicine um, can pose a question to a group of mitochondrial physicians um, and uh, and receive answers. It's been quite active this morning um, uh, with, with some questions about patient care. And so it's a really great way for us to communicate, um, not just around the country, but around the world. Um, to make sure that if we have a question about mitochondrial medicine, mitochondrial disease, we're able to communicate with each other and get a lot of collaboration um, and information. And so uh, I'm really pleased with uh, that listserv and how active it is. Um, we also have started sending out a monthly update. Um, so every month, um, an update is sent out with information about mitochondrial lectures that are occurring, conferences that are occurring, and enrolling clinical trials. So if there's someone who is not part of the Mitochondrial Medicine Society and you would like to be, um, the website information is right there. Please feel free to um, join. Um, we'd love to have you as part of our organization. If you'd like to be on our listserv or you'd like to be um, in receipt of the monthly updates, please let us know and we'd be happy to uh, work with you on that. Another big part um, of the Mitochondrial Medicine Society goals in the last few years has been to help uh, launch something called the Mitochondrial Care Network. Um, so the Mitochondrial Care Network um, is a group of expert centers within the United States that provide standardized mitochondrial care. Um, it's based on the recommendations of the consensus criteria that was developed by the Mitochondrial Medicine Society in 2017. Um, so again, it's a group of mitochondrial clinics and centers providing uh, multidisciplinary care. They are vetted, um, which means that they uh, are evaluated to make sure that they meet a minimum standard um, of care. And so each site has confirmed uh, expertise in managing mitochondrial disease. Um, so this is a really great network, both for patients and for physicians. So for patients, it allows you a place where you can go. You can know that you um, have access to a physician who is truly an expert in mitochondrial disease um, and has 
a network of other physicians that they're working with. They're following the consensus guidelines, the recommendations for care for patients with mitochondrial disease. Um, in addition, what it has done is created a network of physicians where we're able to perform um, uh, a variety of different natural history type studies and a lot of patient-centered research studies. So for example, um, recently the uh, Mitochondrial Care Network has been part of a uh, a study looking at mitochondrial mortality. So what causes mortality in patients with mitochondrial disease? And so having a group of physicians all together that are all seeing mitochondrial patients, we're able to pool our data uh, so to speak, so that we're able to gather information and learn about mitochondrial diseases, learn more about the natural history of them, what is the true progression of a disease, and what is it that we need to be watching for in our patients. Um, and that ability to collaborate that information and put it all together is helping us to improve the quality um, of care that we're providing, as well as outcomes for our patients um, as we move forward. Something else I do want to mention is that we have also developed something called the MCN or Mitochondrial Care Network Telehealth Network. So um, very much aware every physician who takes care of patients with mitochondrial disease that it is not possible for everyone to get to a mitochondrial care network center. Um, So if you go to the MCN uh, website, there is a tab Um, that you can click on for telehealth. A lot of the MCN centers themselves have telehealth capabilities. Um, Unfortunately, in the United States, we are often limited by insurance. And so a lot of centers are only able to see patients within their own state. But there is a set of uh, physicians who are capable or who are able to see patients that are not located within their own state. So I would highly encourage you, if you are interested in obtaining a telehealth evaluation, to visit the MCN Network um, website and take a look because there is information available there on how you can get a telehealth consultation done. And this has been a big project of the MCN over the last few years, and I'm very pleased to say that, um, that it has been accomplished. Um, The other thing the MMS and MCN are working on is developing a clinical trials network um, for mitochondrial disease to help us identify clinical sites that are qualified and ready to participate in clinical trials as they're becoming available. So there'll be more information on that in the future. And lastly, I have to give a little plug for the trials registry, which is the International Registry for Lee Syndrome. So this is a secure database of patients with Lee Syndrome developed to enable researchers to access Lee syndrome patients um, for support of IRB-approved research and clinical trials. So um, if you are a researcher or a um, clinical trials uh, person who is looking for information on Lee syndrome, please know we have this database here. Um, It collects information, um, basic information, mostly demographic information on patients with Lee syndrome. If you are a physician um, who has patients, please encourage them to register. And if you are a patient, we would encourage you to register. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you, Kyra, again, for including me in this very important meeting. Thank you, Dr. Koenig. We appreciate you. And it's an honor for MitoAction to work with the MCN and UMDF and the MMS on the MCN (laughs) and the telehealth program. So thank you for sharing that information. (laughs)
<laughs> a lot of acronyms there. <laughs> Thank you. Up next, joining us is Dr. Matt Klein, who is the Chief Operating Officer of PTC Therapeutics. Welcome, Dr. Klein. Ira, thank you so much. It's 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 great to be here for what I think is our 10th year uh, presenting at this Mito Action uh, Town Hall. And I think, it, it, you know, it's so exciting to see the tremendous progress we've made as a community, uh, both in terms of the increased number of resources and particularly the increased activity in clinical studies. It, it's so great to see. For those of you not familiar with PTC, we're a global biopharmaceutical company that discovers, develops, and commercializes therapies for rare disorders. We were founded 25 years ago, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, with the mission of using pioneering science to develop innovative therapies for patients with rare disorders. Over the time, over the course of the past quarter century, we've grown quite a bit to over 1,300 team members in 50 countries. Uh, but we've remained true to our mission, which is working hard to use good science to develop therapies for kids and adults who, who desperately need them. We've built a robust commercial and R&D portfolio. Uh, we have six products, uh, five of which we commercialize ourselves. One is in partnership with Roche, and that's at RISD for spinal muscular atrophy, and, and a robust R&D pipeline. Obviously, today we'll be focusing on our bioenergy platform, uh, and our therapy of vitiquinone, which some of you may know as Epi743 or PTC743, which is currently being studied in two registration-directed trials, one in, in children with mitochondrial disease and associated seizures, and the other a phase three trial in freegiagataxia. I'm going to focus my discussion today on our mitochondrial disease-associated seizures trial, or the MITI trial, uh, as we have named it. Uh, again, this is a phase two, three trial, uh, studying vitiquinone in children who have mitochondrial disease and associated seizures that don't respond to other medications. This trial was built on a volume of data that came from a number of our studies over the years, including observations in our compassionate use studies that we were having an impact on a number of seizures, as well as a favorable impact on the state of refractory seizures or continued seizures refractory medications known as refractory status epilepticus. And this was true in a number of different disease subtypes, including alpers polgi MELAS, complex three deficiency, and Lee syndrome. We also have data from our previous trial in Lee syndrome, where we were able to demonstrate that we're having a favorable impact uh, on seizures. And also from a case series of patients with PCH6, which is a rather severe form of mitochondrial seizures. Uh, where we were able to demonstrate significant impact on seizure frequency, as well as reduction of days in the hospital, as well as a natural history matched uh, analysis showing a favorable effect on mortality risk. So we brought all of these different data pieces together to construct the MITE trial. The trial is being conducted around the world at study sites in, in the U.S., in Europe, uh, including in France, Italy, Poland, Spain, Sweden. It's also being conducted in the UK as well as in Japan. It's a double-blind placebo-controlled study that has uh, had a target enrollment of 60 subjects, and I'm proud to share that we actually over-enrolled this study. The study includes a seven-month phase followed by a long-term extension. Within that seven-month phase, that initial phase, it includes a 28-day run-in period where we ensure that all participants have a certain number of observable motor seizures. That's followed by a, a 24-week double-blind randomized placebo control period, with the primary endpoint being reduction in the number of observable 
seizures over that time. And that's then followed by the 48-week open-label extension so that all participants, whether they were initially assigned to placebo or to vitiquinone, can receive vitiquinone for an additional 48 weeks. I'm proud to say that this study is fully enrolled. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's over-enrolled. And I think that that is really a credit to the community as a whole, as well as our teams at PTC. Enrolling clinical trials is always a challenge, and I think we all know very well that for mitochondrial disease patients and families, clinical trial participation is very, very challenging. Travel to study sites is very difficult, and there's a number of other challenges that make participation challenging. This was even more so the case in COVID, uh, during COVID when we launched this trial, where the risks of travel were quite high. Uh, we have talked before about our desire to make sure we started this trial as quickly as possible, even if that meant uh, starting a trial during COVID, which we did. Uh, as we've said before, mitochondrial disease did not take the time out for the pandemic, and we wanted to continue to work as quickly and as hard as possible uh, to advance the tiquid on four patients with mitochondrial disease. Uh, we expect results from the study in the first quarter of this year. That's uh, the early part of 2023, so we expect results uh, very soon. So with that, I want to thank you all, and Kyra, thank you again for having allowing us the opportunity to share an update on PTC activities. And again, just uh, a, a very strong word of thanks to the community for the, its partnership over all of these years as we've worked together to get therapies to patients who really need them. Thank you so much, Dr. Klein, and thank, thanks for your, your truly your your commitment. It has, you have stuck with, stuck with this for years and years and years to various companies. And we are just truly um, appreciative of your commitment to this community. Thank you so much. Up next, we have Elena McCormick, who is the consumer sales manager for Optum Infusion Pharmacy. Welcome, Elena. Thank you. Can you hear me? We Yes, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to participate today and um, and contribute what little op, uh, uh, updates I have here for Optum Infusion Pharmacy. Um, my name is Elena McCormick. I'm the Nutrition Consumer Sales Manager for Optum Infusion Pharmacy, and we really believe every person has a unique nutrition support journey. We provide personalized support that's required by the Mito community by offering parenteral and enteral nutrition therapies throughout the United States. Our coordinated team approach offers patients nutrition, nursing, and pharmacy expertise. We also support patients and caregivers with our unique patient liaison program. And then we also offer an optimum intestinal rehab program at home. For our clinician partners, we offer robust CE programs, a dedicated Medicare qualification team, and the ability to start PN in the home with the use of our award-winning nutrition and nursing support teams. Our patient liaison program offers peer support and monthly workshops from people who understand. Our patient liaisons have personal experience living with PN they understand the challenges faced by complex illness and can help empower patients to live their best life and families with their quality of life support. The team works hard to improve the quality of life through a variety of educational materials and resources that help make patients a confident member of their care team. We also offer the Optum Intestinal Rehab Program, which is designed to help people with short bowel syndrome improve their nutrition and reduce their need for PN and hydration therapies. 
Our collaborative team is made up of experts in nutrition, nursing, and pharmacy. All of our patients have a dietitian who is a certified nutrition support clinician, or CNSC. And really, home parental nutrition is far more manageable with Optum support. We're looking forward to the new year as I highlight some of our team's accomplishments. The Optum Infusion Pharmacy Home Parental Nutrition Team was awarded the Clinical Nutrition Team of Distinction Award by the American Society for Parental and Enteral Nutrition, or ASPEN. This award recognizes excellence in interdisciplinary clinical nutrition practice. We are leaders in nutrition support, providing three presentations and seven clinical abstracts at ASPEN 22 and eight clinical abstracts and two roundtables with one oral abstract presentation planned for Aspen 23, including myself being selected as the recipient of the 2023 Lynn Howard Consumer Advocacy Award that I'll receive in April. To learn more about our nutrition support program or to request copies of these abstracts, please visit the website at optum.com forward slash pn and I'll add that link um, and my email to the chat. I appreciate you inviting me to participate in the Mito Town Meeting today and the opportunity to continue supporting the nutrition needs of the Mito community. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elena. Um, and we'll we'll share her email as well when we share the recording. Um, we appreciate your support of this community and all that you do and the team at Optum Infusion Pharmacy. Thank you so much. Joining us next, we are honored to have the founder of the Pol G Foundation, Julie de Luxembourg. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, well, as you heard, I am Julie de Luxembourg, the co-founder of the Pol G Foundation for Polymerized Gamma Mutations. I am the mother and caregiver to a 20-year-old son who was diagnosed with Pol G seven years ago. I would like to start off by thanking Mito Action for the kind invitation to participate today as well as everyone attending this meeting for all of your important work on behalf of mitochondrial patients. I would also like to add my profound thanks and gratitude to all the mitochondrial patient support groups and foundations around the world, which are a lifeline for our family and so many like us. The Paul G Foundation is a strictly research advocacy foundation. Our highly focused mission is to support and accelerate research to find effective treatments and a cure for Polgy mitochondrial disorders. We received our official U.S. public charity status one year ago. 2022, our first year, was busy as we appointed a highly engaged board of directors with a diverse array of expertise and an extraordinary scientific advisory board, including experts in Polgy, gene therapy, and genetics to guide our scientific strategy. I invite you to look at our website, which our son with Polgy helped design that along with a mitoclothing line. We also hired a full-time chief operating officer. In May, we held a wine auction in collaboration with Sotheby's, which beyond the significant funds raised, we garnered enormous global press and unprecedented awareness of mitochondrial disease around the world. One example is the 100,000 views of the video we made. In July, we began implementing the main pillars of our strategy, which include basic mechanisms of Pol-G biology and science, preclinical models, drug repurposing, innovative clinical trials, and Pol-G cohort slash registry collaboration and cooperation. 
Our ongoing projects that we began before the creation of the foundation include two mouse models, one of which will be available in the coming months, and a systematic review of cell and animal models of Polgy disease, which is currently in review and will be published soon. In November, we hosted a Polgy cohort meeting with 17 global leaders at the Mitochondrial Medicine Conference in Cambridge, where one of our mouse models was also presented. We put out our first call for proposals that will be closing the 1st of February. And again, I invite you to look at our website for more information on this. Our next steps for 2023 are to begin funding our first research projects. Um, and please note that we will have three call for proposal cycles a year. In Bologna, we will be hosting a two-day in-person G clinical cohorts meeting prior to the Euromed. And we hope, uh, we certainly plan to attend the, U the UMDF symposium in Charlotte. I would like to take the opportunity now to tell this community that we are actively searching for an executive director with a strong science background to lead our endeavors. And we would be grateful if you would share our existence with anyone you know with Paul G or their families, as we really hope that we can give them some, some hope. Finally, our 2023 goal is to support, collaborate, and work with the mitochondrial community to drive Paul G science forward. I thank you for your attention, all of your expertise, and all of your efforts on behalf of mitochondrial patients. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. We appreciate you being here with us today and sharing, and we look forward to sharing more with the community about the work of the Polji Foundation. So thank you so much. So we're going to skip ahead, um, and next up, we're going to welcome Brian Norman, who is the CEO of the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Kyra, and, and special shout out to Mito Action for once again arranging this uh, great opportunity for everyone to share. We appreciate at UMDF the opportunity to share some of the happenings here at our organization. On a uh, research front, to kick things off here, uh, this year we celebrate the launch of our MitoShare patient registry. In its first eight months, uh, we were able to bring in over 1,000 registrants onto this important platform to help us advance research and provide tools for patient families to track their mito journey. Very important initiative for us as we continue to, to discover more opportunities to engage the patient community. You can see a new uh, burden of uh, the disease caregiver survey on MitoShare now. So I encourage folks to check out umdf.org to learn more about that. All these programs can be found on umdf.org. Another place that we've been spending a significant amount of time recently is upping our game in terms of providing clinical trials information for patient families. So a new clinical trials webpage launched with UMDF in 2022, including a new therapeutic pipeline, a clinical trials finder, as we continue to find smart ways to connect families with clinical trials opportunities. Of course, enrolling clinical trials, we want to make sure we're charting a course toward uncovering diagnosis for patient families who are on a diagnostic journey. And this year, we launched two pilot no-cost genetic testing programs. We wrapped up a patient-facing program just a couple months ago, and now we have a clinician-facing program that patients can learn more about on umdf.org and talk to their physician about our no-cost genetic testing program, uh, generously supported by our friends at Reneo. For 25 years, UMDF has been at the forefront of funding the best science no matter where it is in the world. And this month, we'll be launching our RFP 
for proposals around mitochondrial disease, clinical trials readiness, um, supporting both experienced investigators and through our accelerators postdoctoral program, finding the next generation of mitochondrial disease researchers that will be heading out to our community here later this month. And of course, we're always proud to team up with our friends around the globe on the Lee Syndrome International Roadmap Project, where we recently have launched a natural history project. From an education support standpoint, um, continue to host virtual support meetings and the opportunities that we do have to be in person. We try to find creative ways to get together to continue to provide support. It's on the backs of over 114 support ambassadors around the globe who provide a shoulder to lean on for our patient families and cover a variety of topics to connect patient families. And of course, always encourage folks to check the Get Support option on our website to learn more. The hallmark of UMDF's work over 25 years has been around our mitochondrial medicine symposium coming up here June 28th to July 1st in Charlotte, North Carolina. We hope to see everybody there. This is the convergence of scientific meetings and patient family meetings and represents one of the largest mitochondrial meetings um, across the globe. And then finding ways to connect more frequently and more often with our community on a virtual standpoint, we have our Ask the MitoDoc webinar series that drops every month, as well as webinars for the research community as well, too. And all that is housed on our MitoU platform, where patient families and clinicians alike can go receive um, pertinent mitochondrial disease information. Uh, one of our best kept secrets at UMDF is our work on Capitol Hill as a uh, federal advocacy arm for the mitochondrial disease community. Our team has been working very hard this past year and continues in the new Congress to support patient-friendly legislation, most notably continuing to beat the drum for telehealth access, um, unlocking dollars through the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Department of Defense around mitochondrial disease, and also creating a grassroots network of advocates, a great way to get involved with our organization and help move the ball forward for the MITO community is to sign up as an advocate. And you can learn more about that at umdf.org as well too. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank so many friends on this call and out there in the community who have chosen UMDF as um, their charity of choice so among so many other great organizations here as well too. We are grateful for all of your support through our Energy for Life walks, our Activate program, special event fundraising, not only are these fundraising events that help power all these programs, they're also a great way to connect with other families. Kyra, thanks again for the time. Really appreciate the opportunity to share a little about what's going on here at UMDF. Thanks so much, Brian. We appreciate you and the team at UMDF for all the work you do and the opportunities that we have to work together to support the community. Thank you so much. Joining us next is um, Casey Wolben, who is the founder of Cure Mito. Welcome, Casey. Oh, we can't hear you, Casey. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Welcome. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having us, inviting us, and uh, for hosting this town hall meeting. Uh, just a little background on Cure Mido. Um, we are 
I, I am the co-founder. We started in 2018. My son was diagnosed with Lee syndrome back in 2014. He is now 11 years old. So uh, this is a total grassroots effort led by parents who are on a mission for a cure to save their to save our children. And it does take a village. Each of us has a child diagnosed with Lee syndrome. Each of us has been told by doctors that there's no treatment, no cure, and no hope. And each of us has refused to accept this. And we want to find an answer. Um, as of right now, we have 14 countries that are participating in our um, uh, partner family group. It takes a village and we are thankful for for our families and all that we do to to uh, spread awareness and fund the necessary research for Lee syndrome. Uh, just a, a quick review of 2022. We were busy. Uh, we want to thank all of our um, patient registry committee volunteers. They have worked tirelessly on creating posters, papers, uh, presenting at, uh, at eight different conferences this year. So they have been so wonderful and helping uh, spread awareness about Lee syndrome and our registry. Um, we funded a gene editing project with Cure ATP6 Foundation, uh, $400,000 over two years for uh, for that project. We are so excited about our drug repurposing project. We um, have five new different uh, Lee syndrome mutations that we are going to be working on that we will um, share with you a little bit later. Um, we held our first international uh, conference, Lee syndrome conference with over 200 attendees from 34 countries. And we are going to have another one uh, coming up in September. We launched our birthday club and we have partnered with uh, Sonri Surf One Foundation from Argentina. So they are like our Spanish speaking arm of, um, of our foundation. They are great. So if you speak Spanish, please reach out to them. They're an amazing organization. Uh, we also are working on aboutleesyndrome.com. Here's a little graphic that just shows our three posters that were shown throughout the um, eight conferences over 2022. And here's a little bit of our uh, research collaborators that we that we are working with um, for 2023. Like I said, we are super excited about our drug repurposing with Rarebase and Perlara. Updates will be shared soon. Uh, we also are continuing our work with Surf One Gene Therapy out at UT Southwestern, and we should have an update in quarter one. So hopefully soon um, on, on the progress of that. We know that it was uh, deprioritized by Tasha, but we are going to move that forward um, for our families and uh, Surf One patients. Um, we are proud to announce that we have our corporate advisory council and this is just brings stakeholders together to to improve uh, awareness uh, awareness for lee syndrome to uh, improve clinical outcome measures just anything that has to do with lee syndrome we want to bring everyone together to make it um to make it known and collaborate 
and our 2023 plans. We are expanding our global lease syndrome registry. Please join if you haven't. Um, it's the largest lease syndrome global registry to date. Uh, we continue to share the findings with the community. We have our blood bank going on at Coriel. Please reach out to us if you'd like to participate in that. Uh, we have an exciting um, resource uh, about leesyndrome.com. It's a, it's a global lease syndrome toolkit for providers and patients that we will be sharing more about a little bit later. And uh, upcoming events are, we have a Q&A on um, our Lee Syndrome Registry, which is happening on January 18th. And we also have an FDA listening session for our Lee Syndrome Patient Registry in February. So I just wanna thank you again for inviting us um, and all of you uh, to move uh, mitochondrial um, medicine forward and research. Uh, we are focused primarily on Lee syndrome and we, we just want to leave you with three words, transparency, urgency, and collaboration. And we are so excited to see what 2023 brings. So thanks again. And, um, I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> Thank you so much, Casey. We appreciate you and all the hard work that you do for the Lake community. Thank you so much. Um, next up, we have Dr. Peter McGuire with the National Institute of Health. Welcome, Dr. McGuire. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to share my slides here. Um, Take your time, you're good. Okay. Which is visible? Um, there, is that correct? That's perfect, yes. Okay, so thanks, Kyra, for inviting me, and Happy New Year to everyone um, in the mitochondrial disease community. Um, my name is Peter McGuire. I'm actually an investigator at um, the National Human Genome Research Institute here in Bethesda, Maryland, and I lead a group called uh, the MINI section, which stands for Metabolism, Infection, and Immunity um, in inborn errors of mitochondrial metabolism. So uh, we work a lot with uh, all the different groups and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what we have been doing and what's coming up for this year. Um, so uh, my group uh, basically is made up of uh, some of the individuals you see here. Some of you may know Eliza Gordon-Lipkin who is our pediatric neurologist and neurodevelopmental specialist who works on the mini study. Um, some of you have come to Bethesda to visit us, to participate in the mini study. And our main um, area of interest actually has to do with infection and children with mitochondrial disease like Lee syndrome who may experience adverse events as a result of infection. So the, the main purpose of, our, of my section, my research group, is to define the mechanisms that underlie these kind of deleterious host what we call host pathogen interactions, so virus-patient interactions um, in children with mitochondrial disease. And we have a study at the NIH called the NIH mini-study, which I mentioned, and this is under clinicaltrials.gov. Um, we form hypotheses, we look at uh, different um, materials from patients, we have animal models, and the whole idea is to be able to uh, develop treatments or change the practice of medicine, mitochondrial medicine, to help uh, protect children um, during infection uh, who have mitochondrial disease. 
So one of the studies we did this past year, which many of you have participated in, actually had to do with um, household viral exposures um, in children with mitochondrial disease. And we did this during COVID-19, and we're continuing to do this um, because there are still some very important questions that we have to answer. And the way that this study worked is we actually sent a blood collection kit to the home where individuals could take essentially a finger stick of blood and send it back to us. And then we could determine things like exposure to SARS-CoV-2 or exposure to other viruses during, um, during that season. And so not only, as I said, not only could we look at, at, at COVID, but we could also look at all the other viruses. And this was using a very kind of interesting platform called VirScan, which basically looks at the antibodies that are in your blood. And that antibody fingerprint, much like the fingerprint at a crime scene, will kind of tell you or give you an idea of crimes that have occurred in the past. In other words, viral infections that an individual had experienced during a certain period of time. So this is a really powerful platform that helps us learn about host pathogen interactions in children with mitochondrial disease. Um, this is the paper that we actually published. So, you, and it came out this uh, past year, I think it was the end of 2022, um, where we looked at antibodies to COVID and antibodies to all these other viruses. We also looked at clinical outcomes. We did have, unfortunately, a number of patients who experienced adverse um, clinical outcomes as a result of having infections. Um, so this is something that um, you can find on, 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 the, on the web. Um, or I'd be more than happy to send it to you if you wish to contact me. Um, and basically, we looked at the individuals with mitochondrial disease. As you can see here on the right, um, we have a diagram of these family structures. Um, the, the individual with mitochondrial disease, the child is usually in the middle of these spoke diagrams. And then the people surrounding are the other family members. And you can see that for this is for COVID. Um, you can see that a lot of people had COVID and were exposed to COVID, had antibodies to COVID including children with mitochondrial disease, including other family members. Um, so we're continuing. Oh, so the other thing is that um, not only did we survey COVID, but as I mentioned, we surveyed what other viruses they may have been exposed to. And this is kind of the top 10 hit list of the different viruses that they were exposed to during this time. And it includes common viruses of children. RSV, it includes enteroviruses, it includes influenza. Um, so we are continuing to do this because we're trying to learn. There, there, there's basically a major question that we're trying to learn here. And that major question is, we noticed from our study, and, and I know you know this as, as caregivers, not every infection produces a problem in the child with mitochondrial disease. In other words, doesn't produce disease progression or decline or any, but, but some do. Some infections do. So we're trying to sort out, well, what is it about, you know, why do some sometimes it happens and one, why sometimes it doesn't happen? And one of the hypotheses we have is it may be viral specific. So in other words, there may be certain viruses that are more detrimental than others to kids with mitochondrial disease. So to answer this question, we're continuing to do our study of household exposures in 2023, this involves essentially having a blood kit sent to your home at certain times during the year and sending it back to us all postage paid and everything covered here at NIH. And we're definitely looking for more participants. Um, so please, if you are interested, um, you can contact us. 
We also still have the mini study going on, which is the metabolism, infection, and immunity study, which is a study here in Bethesda, Maryland, where we provide travel and accommodations, uh, where we uh, ask questions about, about viruses and how the immune system functions um, to help maintain the health of children with mitochondrial disease, especially when it comes to infection. So I'll just stop here and leave up our website if anyone wants to grab a, a quick snapshot. And thank you very much, Kyra, for uh, the opportunity to kind of update everyone on, on what we found and what we're doing and what we plan to do for this next year. Thank you so much, Dr. McGuire. And we'll be sure to share um, the contact information when we post the recording in case anyone is interested in um, getting involved in those studies. Thank you so much. Thank next you. Have a wonderful day. Um, up next, we have Joe DeBry, who is our administrator for the International Mito Patients IMP. Welcome, Joe. Thank you so much, uh, Kyra, and thank you to um, to Mito Action for inviting me to speak here today. I really appreciate the opportunity. As Kyra said, I'm Joe DeBry, and I work with the International Mito Patients, or IMP for short. I have to say it's been great to hear so many interesting presentations today. So thank you so much to all of the speakers. For those of you who don't know, IMP is the International Umbrella Organization for MITO patients around the world, or MITO organizations, or organization, uh, sorry. <laughs> IMP is the International Umbrella Organization for MITO patient organizations around the world. We have 17 members from 12 countries, uh, including MITO Action, UMDF and the MITO Foundation, all of whom are here today. Um, our mission is to increase the quality of life for people with MITO by facilitating cross-border cooperation um, and collaboration amongst patient organisations. And two of our board members are here today, Kyra, who is actually the chair of IMP, and Brian Harmon, who is our treasurer. Our other board members come from patient organisations, um, Amy in, um, in France, Mitocon in Italy, the Lilly Foundation in the UK and the Mito Foundation in Australia. So we have a really wide um, range of people from around the world helping to lead the organisation. IMP is the host of World Mitochondrial Disease Week, which I hope many of you have participated in in the past. This year it falls from the 18th to the 24th of September, so please mark your diaries now. Um, we encourage everyone affected by MITO, including our members, pharmaceutical companies, researchers and clinicians and everyone else uh, to raise awareness of MITO, in particular during this week. We create a social media campaign, inspire, share inspiring stories and hard-hitting facts about MITO. Um, and we encourage you to share all of that information with your, uh, with your own networks. As part of World Mitochondrial Disease Week, three years ago, we actually um, launched LHON Awareness Day, which takes place on the 19th of September each year. We host an annual online event featuring patients and experts in LHON. And we look forward to sharing the details with you um, from this year's event uh, over the coming months. On Saturday, 23rd of September, we'll host Light Up for Mito, which has become an annual event. Last year, um, over 330 monuments, landmarks and buildings across 15 different countries were illuminated in green to raise awareness. This year, we hope the number will be much bigger. If you're interested in, in getting involved in that, contact your local um, uh, patient organisation or contact us directly. 
IMP provides support for people uh, affected by MITO and we connect them with their local patient organisation um, or whether it isn't one, we'll do our best to support them directly. And sadly, there's still many countries that don't have a national group um, and we do our best to support that gap and offer guidance to anyone who is interested in setting up a new organisation. We're also really keen to hear um, and connect with other patient organisations that aren't already a member of IMP. We have a private Facebook group where patients and their families can connect, seek support and share experiences. IMP is involved in a number of projects, including the list of medicines to be used with caution by mitochondrial disease patients. And that list is um, regularly updated and is available on our website. We've also been involved with a project that focuses on the cognitive and mental health aspects of MITO. Um, the thesis for that project has just been released and is available on our website. And that project resulted in a clinical intervention in the Netherlands called Power Me, um, which related to the mental health of patients between the ages of eight and 18. Cure Mills, or Cure Maternally Inherited Lee Syndrome, is one of the most exciting projects that IMP is partnering in at the moment. It's part of the European Joint Programme on Rare Diseases. The project is using a reprogramming-based strategy for drug repositioning in patients with mitochondrial DNA-associated Lee syndrome. The initial small clinical trial is showing promising results, and the PI, Professor Alessandro Pagoni, is hoping to run a larger trial. So far, the project has screened more than 6,000 compounds, and it's hoped that amongst those screened compounds, other drugs can be identified that can be, treated, can be used to treat mills. As we all know, there are so many different types of mito with hundreds of gene mutations leading to different symptoms and prognosis, each with a very modest incident rate on the population. Even with the most accredited research centres, they often only have contact with a few dozen, sometimes even less patients suffering from rare or very rare uh, syndromes. These numbers often don't allow for um, strongly reliable data to be produced regarding a specific pathology, particularly of those particularly rare diseases. So a global database, on the other hand, we think can uh, collect and concentrate a wealth of information and knowledge and represents an indispensable tool for the development of development in the field of medical research. The Genomit project brings together two global registries, data from a global mitochondrial disease clinical registry and from a, data, a global mitochondrial disease patient registry. That data will be matched to provide a unique, complete picture of clinical health and natural history data. IMP is leading a consortium of patient organizations within the Genomit project focused on the creation of the first ever global mitochondrial disease patient registry. And this registry will um, include all the different types of mitochondrial disease. Patient organizations, the Lilly Foundation in the UK, Mitocon in Italy, AMI in France and DGM in Germany are partnering with us on this groundbreaking registry, along with all the other members of IMP. We've been working very closely with the Lilly Foundation, um, who are going to trial um, part of a, a registry uh, over the coming months. And assuming that test is successful, we'll plan to clone the platform as the basis of the global registry. Mitocon in Italy is likely to be the first non-English speaking country to launch the registry with another couple of countries due to follow soon after. And from there, we look forward to introducing the registry worldwide. IMP is a really small organisation, but we're able to do so much thanks to the gener generosity and commitment of some of our larger members. 
Mitel Action, UMDF, the Mitel Foundation and Mitocon are four of our members that provide staff time and resources to help us achieve our global goals, and we are immensely grateful for that. IMP has the potential to support more patient organisations, raise more awareness and to facilitate more research around the world. It's a really exciting time for IMP and for all of the patient organisations we work with and patients themselves. And we're really excited about what we can achieve over the coming years. If you'd like any more information about IMP, um, please visit our website, which is mitopatients.org. We're also on Facebook, or you can email me directly at Joe Debray, which is J-O-D-E-B-R-Y at mitopatients.org. Thanks again so much for your time today, and I really look forward to hearing the rest of the presentations. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been an honor to be the, the chair of IMP, and I have to echo what Joe says. This is a really exciting time for the organization um, as we look to expand how not only are we supporting the global patient advocacy organizations in the work that they do, but also directly supporting patient and, and international research. So it's a really exciting time. Keep an eye out for more information. Um, over the course of the next months, we'll have lots of new exciting programs and events to share. So thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Christy Balsells, who is the Associate Director of Patient Advocacy and Public Policy for UCB. Welcome, Christy. Hi, Tyra. Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, as you know, my name is Christy Balsells, and I know some of you already from my prior work in the mitochondrial disease community, because I'm a mom to a little girl, well, not so little, 18 years old now, um, daughter with mitochondrial disease. I'm also a nurse and I'm the global patient engagement lead dedicated to the rare mitochondrial disease, thymidine kinase deficiency type 2 or TK2D at UCB. Our prior company, Zogenics, which you may have um, remembered if you've joined from last year, was acquired by the global biopharma organization, UCB, in March of this past year in 2022. UCB is a global biopharma company whose primary headquarters are in Belgium, but they have an additional U.S. office in Atlanta, as well as various sites around the country. UCB's ambition today is to transform the lives of people living with severe diseases including rare diseases, allowing them to live the best life that they can as free as possible from the challenges and uncertainty of the disease. For those of you that don't know, TK2D is a mitochondrial DNA deletion syndrome that is caused by an autosomal recessive mutation of the TK2D gene. And I share this with you because it's a relatively new disease and diagnosis. And so if you have a mitochondrial DNA deletion syndrome, I invite you to learn more about TK2D. It's particularly challenging to really estimate how many people have TK2D. We do believe it's ultra rare. And we do also believe the few studies conducted suggest that about 10 to 18% of people with mitochondrial DNA deletion syndromes have a disease causing TK2D variant or mutation in their genes. TK2D can impact people of all ages, like a lot of the mitochondrial myopathies. For TK2D, patients and people who are affected often have severe muscle weakness that primarily affects their core, trunk, neck, and face. And this muscle weakness can be very progressive until people who are affected lose the ability to walk, eat, and breathe independently. 
So therefore, TK2D is debilitating, debilitating and can be life-threatening, causing progressive and severe muscle weakness that may lead to respiratory insufficiency or a person's inability to breathe on their own. And while TK2D may look like other mitochondrial myopathies, genetic testing is the quickest and most accurate way to accurately identify TK2D. We fully appreciate that there is quite a long journey that many of you endure in finding a diagnosis, managing your symptoms, and advocating for yourself or for the people that are in your family. I'd like to actually stop for a minute and remember and thank the organizations who are here today, specifically MitoAction, UMDF, TK2D Cures, and this community for their participation almost a year ago in the very first FDA listening session specific for TK2D. This was a real milestone and an opportunity for people with TK2D, the patients and their families, to directly provide feedback to FDA, which is the regulatory agency who needs to understand what it means to live with this disease and the importance of access to therapies. So UCB is continuing the ongoing commitment and resources of Zogenics to TK2D and to the development of an investigational therapy to treat this disease. We are working very closely with the US and European regulatory agencies, that's the FDA and the EMA respectively, throughout this process. Because in the long run and in a sustainable way, the needs of our global TK2D patient community are best served by making a treatment for TK2D commercially available. In the meantime, I believe that one of the most important things you can do as a patient or caregiver is to stay informed and deeply connected to the organizations who are here today, like MitoAction, who work tirelessly to support you and provide information. Truly, they are the best resource for you to learn updates and to stay connected. So um, on behalf of my team at UCB, thank you so much for the opportunity today to share Kyra. Thank you so much, Christy. And we're excited um, to also share with the community that MitoAction, IMP, and UCB are collaborating on a global mapping project um, with the goal to uncover every mitochondrial disease patient advocacy organization worldwide and all registries worldwide so that we can produce a comprehensive summary that can be referenced by multiple stakeholders from patients to clinicians, researchers, and industry partners. So this is a great collaborative effort. Um, There's so many incredible groups that are working on behalf of this community across the globe, and we want to make sure we know who all the, who they all are, that we can support one another, um, and to really understand the work that each of these organizations is doing. So we're excited to be a part of this initiative with you, Christy. Yeah, it's so exciting to hear, you know, you can hear the global impact from all of these organizations, but specifically for the registry piece, um, there's never been a comprehensive map of all of the registries that in some way or fashion are counting people with mitochondrial disease. And in a presentation in 2022, the World Health Organization was talking about rare disease and diagnosis of rare disease. And one of their initiatives is to make sure that every patient with rare disease is counted because it's the idea that until you're counted, how do you count? And so we wanna make sure that every person with mitochondrial disease counts. And so this idea of providing a resource that I hope will be really helpful to organizations and as well as to researchers and clinicians, just giving oversight is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And and it'll ensure that as organizations, we're not working in a silo, 
that we can share our data and we can literally, you know, truly have a collaborative environment um, and make sure that we're counting all the patients and we all know who's counting, um, which is really important. So just to give everyone the heads up, um, if you are a patient advocacy organization leader or um, are, are managing a registry, be on the lookout for an email from us next week um, asking for your feedback to assist with this initiative um, and about what the data is that you're collecting. So we hope that you'll all participate and help us pull this project together, which will be really meaningful to our community worldwide. So thank you, Christy. We appreciate you. Thanks, Kyra. Thanks so much. Up next, we have joining us Stephanie Tomlinson, who is the peer co-chair for the Undiagnosed Disease Network. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi, Kyra. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on as soon as I can figure out how to put my camera on. Steph, I think you're better off turning your camera off because you're, you sound robotic when you have your camera on as much as we'd love to see your beautiful face. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Um, As Kyra said, I am the incoming chair for the UDN peer. Um, UDN is the Undiagnosed Disease Network. Um, This is a program that has been funded through the Common Fund for the past 10 years. And the last few years, we have been met with a very fast paced level of uncertainty as our funding was coming to an end. Um, The last 18 months, we have really had a concerted effort to find ways to keep the momentum going that has been built through the UDN. And with that, um, we were magically surprised that we were um, appropriated into the Y23 budget year um, with a line item of $18 million to secure the operations for the UDN, which is such a lifeline for our rare community and for those who are left without answers on this diagnostic journey. So $18 million for Y23 is a a great way to start. Um, With that, the UDN is already in expansion mode with approval granted to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, AUB and Columbia. Um, All three of these sites will be eligible for patients as soon as April of 2023. So that's really exciting to move us from 12 UDN sites all the way up to 15. And we have two more applications that will be presenting their capacity to our steering committee next quarter. And that is the Medical College of Wisconsin and the University of California, Irvine will also be presenting as they would like to um, join the UDN. Um, One of the biggest takeaways for the MITO community and the UDN um, and this funding stream that has now become available is that it is cited um, within the uh, application of these funds is a mandate to CMS that they develop a program that allows for whole genome sequencing for Medicare and Medicaid dollars spending. And we need to establish that framework within 180 days. And UDN Peer is committed to working with CMS to help build that framework so that it allows our patients the best possible op- options to finding help and treatment. Um, this tool has become has recognized as the most powerful part in research um, known today. Um, it's fast, it's inefficient. We have been using the recently published article from uh, Michigan on the Baby Bear Project. Um, we hope that that publication will really help uh, open the doors and start conversations with some of our third-party payers 
um, towards covering more extensive genetic testing, which we all know will really help to uh, gain patients to gain access for all of these fabulous uh, trials and studies that are on the bench right now. So that is um, where we're at. And then, oh, one other caveat, the UDN is also uh, really excited to announce that we have launched the UDNF, and that is uh, the Undiagnosed Disease Network Foundation. This is a patient-led, privately funded foundation that is going to allow more funding options to support the research arm, and then also offer the much needed wraparound services for the families who find themselves in the swirl of finding a diagnosis and treatment for their person. Um, this is all just uh, became official at the start of January, 2023. And it is really an exciting time for those of us that have been in the undiagnosed disease world. So with that, I advise everybody to keep your eyes open and watch the publications because we have many things coming on the horizon. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And I would encourage for those in our community that are still struggling with a diagnosis to reach out to Stephanie and the UDN. It's an incredible resource um, as you're going through the diagnostic journey. And, and I would really encourage you to reach out to Stephanie um, and we'll share her information when we share the recording. So thanks, Steph. We appreciate you. Up next, we have Dr. Richard Bowles of Mitochondrial and Molecular Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Bowles. Hello. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Yes. Okay, and can you see my screen with the um, Word document? Yes, we can. Okay, everything worked. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, I now work under neuro... Whoops, had to do it just a second. Okay. Neurabilities is where I do my patient care, and neuro needs is where I develop my products. Um, the focus is on mitochondrial dysfunction and common disorders. Um, I'm mostly interested in, well, you can see the ones in red on there, but anything that's really a common disorder is how does mitochondrial dysfunction affect that, um, and how can treating the mitochondria help those, those um, common disorders, um, whether it's primary, meaning our actual problem the mitochondria, or it's secondary, it's acquired mitochondrial dysfunction due to some other problem. So I analyze DNA sequences. That's the main thing that I do. Um, I do clinical care, and I also develop products for comprehensive dietary supplementation. Um, the phenotypes that I'm mostly interested in are the neurodevelopmental disorders, such as autism, ADHD, and the functional disorders like pain, fatigue, nausea, and vomiting. And unfortunately, many of you know that it's all too frequent that um, these are not believed. They're either you're crazy or it's somatoform, conversion disorder, fictitious disorder, Munchausen by proxy, medical child abuse, et cetera. So I see a lot of those cases that really fit into the neurodevelopmental and functional disorder realm. So I know that's complicated, but I've seen over 95% of my patients um, have one of these threes, autism, cyclic vomiting, chronic fatigue. That's, those are the things that I'm really like putting out my shingle on and becoming, trying to become an expert at and do the best that I can at those. Um, you say, well, that's kind of, the, why pick those three? Well, they're common. No one really wants to do them. And um, they're, they're shared. A lot of people have all three or two of the three or all three are in the family. Therefore, there must be shared genetic components. So that's why I got involved in that. Um, clinically, um, there's a lot of clinicians out there. A lot of them have already spoke. They all do great stuff. Um, what I do differently that I'm not aware of anyone else does this is I dive into this, the raw sequence. 
I go, if the lab allows me to do this, and at present time, only Variantics allows that. Um, so that's where I order everything from. I go into the Variantics is right here. They're Boston-based, so they also have a, um, an organization in Israel. Um, if they allow, I go into the raw sequence data and I look at everything. That's because for six years, I was um, medical director of of Cortigen, I was in Lineagen and two other sequencing companies as well, where I got this if, the ability to do this. Um, so I find a lot of things that the lab didn't find because I know these disorders, but mostly I can go back to the patient. Is there a family history of this? What do the ears look like? Um, what happens when you haven't eaten for a while? Are there ketones and things like this? I can go back, ask questions, eliminate the ones that don't seem to fit and raise the ones that may not have seemed to be the ones at the top of the list, but actually turn out to have the disease. So what does this mean? I mean, in, in, real, in real time, um, about... In these three areas here, autism, cyclic vomiting, and chronic fatigue, um, my data that I've put together in 2022 is I can find casual diagnoses or genes that are very highly related to diagnosis in over 75% of all three of those. Um, in autism, they're mostly de novo, so you need to sequence the parents as well. In cyclic vomiting and chronic fatigue, they're usually a combination of inherited variants. So what am I finding? I mean, this is a mito talk, but I'm mostly finding channelopathy genes. These are ion channel genes that encode for like a, a sodium, a potassium, a calcium channel that crosses the membrane that allows salts to go in or out. When you have a channelopathy, usually you have a leak and um, the leak needs to be plugged up. It needs, if you have calcium leaking in, which is really common in these disorders, the pro, you have to then have the pumps constantly pumping that calcium out and that requires a lot of energy and that causes a secondary acquired mitochondrial dysfunction there's nothing in the mitochondrial dna in a lot of these patients um that is the most common thing i find the second most common thing i find are mutations in oxidative damage genes mitochondrial function either in the nuclear or in the mitochondrial dna so those would be considered a primary mitochondrial disease these would be considered a secondary and as you'd expect a lot of patients have both um, there are many other pathways I find as well, in particular neuroinflammation pathways, autoinflammation and everything. But these are pretty common. Um, and then what does this mean for treatment if you find it? About 50% of the time, the DNA results will lead to a therapy that has significant improvement. Um, I'm not talking about the improvement that happens. This is, oh, this might be mito that's put you on a cocktail. And then you do the DNA later. And they get better because of the cocktail. About 50% of the time, the DNA leads to a, an idea that I didn't have before that actually works in the patient and the patient gets better. So it's like a coin toss, which isn't really bad. I think that it's really important to do the DNA analysis. I and mean, then here is just that, you know, why channels and mito? Channels cause mito. As I mentioned, if you have a leak, you have to pump it back. But mitochondrial dysfunction causes problems with the channels because it takes a lot of energy again. And if you have a mitochondrial dysfunction, you're not able to pump it back. The nerves can't reset themselves very quickly. Um, on the treatment side, I do this. Oh, by the way, this is all through um, neurabilities. The, it's, a, it's a large neurological office. It has multiple locations in the Philadelphia area on the New Jersey and the Pennsylvania side. 
but everything I do is by telemedicine, Zoom or Teams. So you can be anywhere in the United States. And I also do a lot of ones outside of the U.S. through other doctors and other countries that can help. Um, the treatment aim is for neuro needs. Um, here I have the websites. And this is a company. I have a conflict of interest because I'm a partner and, the, and an officer. I'm the main designer of the products. The main thing here is that we make mitochondrial cocktails to make supplementation easy. Spectrum Needs is a powder, two flavors, 30 free active ingredients. Energy Needs comes in capsules. It's almost exactly the same, has a few more things in it. Energy Needs is for older kids, adults, adolescents. Spectrum Needs is for the younger kids or anyone who doesn't want to swallow. Um, both include here, this is vitamins, minerals, cofactors, antioxidants, and others. Um, I, I got upset about the fact that most of the CoQ out in the market is completely worthless. Um, made my own CoQ. Um, but there are other ones out there that are good. Whatever CoQ you buy, make sure that it's ubiquinol, which is a highly bioavailable form. Um, and then the new product that we have, Omega Needs, is an omega-free source. Um, that's important because it's for the, the membranes. It's very helpful for the mitochondrial membranes as well as everything else. Um, krill oil goes directly into the brain. Almost all of the omega sources that are out there are fish oil only, which is great. It's high dosing. It's good for the heart, the rest of the body, but it has limited brain uptake. Um, the, it needs to be converted to a phospholipid, um, a phospholipid form by the liver and only does so much. Krill oil goes directly into the brain. Um, so you get both of them by mixing them together. So those are my, um, these are the websites and then the emails if you're interested. And I just emailed this to Kyra. Um, Better late than never. And thank you again for inviting me. Thank you so much, Dr. Bowles. And we'll be sure to share that presentation and, and the links um, to neuro needs and to neurologics. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. You're welcome. Next up, we have Lisa Metzger, who is the editor of, of Lifeline Letter and director of advocacy and outreach for the Olay Foundation. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Kyra. Thank you so much for having us again this year. Hello, everyone. Thanks for sticking with this till the bitter end. <laughs> um, I'm so excited about everything everybody has planned. It's it's a little overwhelming. And I think I'm so excited about what everybody else has planned that I had trouble getting my thoughts together for what I wanted to share. Um, we look forward to being part of some of these initiatives. Um, so as, if you're not familiar with the Oli Foundation, we are a home nutrition therapy, community, and advocacy group with approximately 27,000 members. Our mission is to enrich the lives of those living with home IV nutrition or tube feeding um, through advocacy, education, community, and innovation. So while our organization is focused on home tube feeding and IV nutrition and not directly on mitochondrial disease, there's a lot of overlap between our communities. Um, this year, 2023, marks the Oli Foundation's 40th anniversary. We're kicking it off with a celebration on February 2nd in Albany, New York, where the organization was founded at Albany Medical Center. Now, you're welcome to join us if you're in the Albany area or virtually um, as we look back at our past and forward to our future. I'm excited about what this anniversary year will bring. Um, it'll be the first time in several years that we're meeting in person for our annual conference. It will be in St. Louis in June, brings together patients, caregivers, experts in the field of nutrition support, and industry representatives. We have a, a great exhibit hall, which is just a, a wealth of information. Um, it's been too long since we've been 
together in person and I'm very excited about it. Um, we also have several webinars and online half-day meeting planned, including one next month during Feeding Tube Awareness Week, which the webinar on tube feeding at, I'm sorry, tube feeding in school and at work. Uh, we're currently accepting nominations for our OLI Awards for patients and caregivers um, and clinician and applications for our HPN, Home Parental Nutrition Research Prize, and our camp scholarship for, for kids on um, home enteral or parental nutrition. We are also expanding our advocacy efforts in 2023, and I'm excited about the opportunities for collaboration that have been mentioned. Um, We'll continue to advocate directly one-on-one to our members through our OLE Ambassador Program, our Entral Formula Donation Program, and our information requests, which are one-on-one. We're also increasing our collaboration with other organizations and forming a national advocacy task force, which will establish goals, priorities, and initiatives. And again, Kyra and Christy, I'm excited to learn more about your collaborative effort to create a comprehensive map of mitochondrial disease and um, look forward to sharing that information with our members. So this year, we'll also be launching our healthcare professional directory. It's it's um, something we felt was very important. It'll offer a resource for patients and other healthcare professionals to find providers with experience in home nutrition support and related fields. And we hope all the healthcare professionals who are listening to this meeting will consider signing up. Anything else? I hope that you'll visit our website and sign up for some of our um, some of our educational programs this year. Our website is Oli, O-L-E-Y dot org. Thanks again, Kyra. Thanks so much, Lisa. We appreciate you. And we will um, also, we'll share your links and make sure we keep the community updated on the programs that you offer. Thank you so much. And so our final speaker of the day, and certainly last but not least, is Sean Murray, who is the CEO of the Mito Foundation in Australia. Welcome, Sean. Whoop. You're muted, Sean. There we go. Good morning. Hi there, Kyra. Thanks for having us here today. Thanks to the uh, team at Mito Action. Uh, as Kyra said, my name's Sean Murray, and I'm the CEO and one of the founding directors of the um, Mito Foundation, which is an Australian organisation that exists to support the Australian mitochondrial disease community. Um, and um, uh, we also uh, advocate on behalf of the Australian mitochondrial disease community to policymakers locally. And we'll also fund a significant research portfolio that we've been um, um, prioritising as one of our key um, key uh, priorities and um, objectives since the foundation's establishment back in 2009 now, just on Coming up for 14 years ago now. Um, so just checking there, um, can I just get, uh, is my screen being shared? Yes, we can see your Great. screen, Sean. Excellent. Good. Okay. All right. I am on the right one. Great. So just a, a brief update on last year highlights. Um, the, the foundation um, faced a, another sort of probably challenging year with all the COVID um, constraints and fundraising. Um, but um, it, uh, we're, we're looking to, um, uh, at the uh, investment really into into the support services locally. But um, uh, for probably in this forum here, probably what's more relevant is our investment in research. It was down significantly on prior years. Um, twofold reason, I think. One, uh, the number of applications we received to our grant funding rounds were down. Uh, I think many scientists globally were trying to grapple with coming back from COVID uh, and probably weren't ready to apply for funding. 
Um, so we're um, we're looking um, at, um, at that in, in the next period that we're hoping that those um, the funds that we can award will will increase significantly. Um, what the um, the highlight of the year for the Mito Foundation in Australia really was the success of a long-running advocacy campaign. Um, we were advocating and lobbying to our local policy and, and lawmakers here to legalise mitochondrial donation or mitochondrial replacement techniques, the IVF technique that can prevent the transmission of mitochondrial disease from an affected woman to her child um, for some mitochondrial diseases. Uh, so we, um, after a protracted campaign following and inspired by the lead out of the United Kingdom, uh, the, the law was uh, changed here in Australia late last year um, to make mitochondrial donation legal. So that's an exciting uh, opportunity and a real beacon of hope for the, the local community here. Um, and um, it was the culmination of a significant effort on behalf of the foundation and the local mitochondrial disease community who advocated to their their local policy uh, policymakers. Um, in terms of the 2023 plans for the Mito Foundation, we will continue to focus and invest in our local support services to to um, empower the Australian mitochondrial disease community. Um, and, and as I mentioned previously, we're looking at a, an increase in our research funding through our major grant rounds. Our, our grant round will launch in the coming day or two. Uh, and we would look to offer re, um, grants in translational research grants, clinical trial support grants and research fellowships. So if you're a, a researcher, please uh, have a look at our website. I'll show you the URL at the end of this talk um, and, and um, get in touch with us in relation to uh, any research funding uh, proposals that you might have. Uh, we're optimistic about our fundraising efforts this year that should enable us to provide a, a fairly reasonable um, uh, budget for that, that grant round. We will um, uh, continue to be uh, and always have been very keen on collaborations, we believe, and are very strong believers that we can achieve more together than we can individually. Um, and to that end, we look forward to reconnecting in person with many of you uh, at Euromit and at UMDF uh, and other opportunities for collaboration. And we would invite you or make you aware of the Australian Mitochondrial Disease Conference. Uh, it just happened in November last year, the next one will be 2024, so keep an eye out for that one as well. This is the team, or some of the team here at, at Mito Foundation. We have been investing in our team. A lot of the team here are providing those frontline support services, but we have a, a, a great team with a experience across research, advocacy, uh, patient support, etc. Um, here's contact details for Mito Foundation. If you are an Australian patient uh, seeking support, please get in touch with us. Um, if you are a drug developer, we're very keen to entice clinical trials to Australia. Please get in touch with us. We're very connected to the local patient community and medical community as well. There are my details. And uh, thanks very much to Kyra for the opportunity to present today. Thank you so much, Sean. And we look forward to working with you through IMP to do a webinar about the um, mitochondrial donation. Um, we don't talk about it a lot here in the in the U.S., but it'll be interesting to to learn more about how it's it's working well in other other countries. So thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. So that brings us to the end of today's program. Ten years for the Mito Town meeting—that's hard to believe. This is our tenth one. As Dr. Klein said, it's amazing to see the progress that has been made, but we still have much work to do. 
I want to thank all of today's speakers for taking the the time to share with the community. As we've learned here today, we have an army of clinicians, researchers, advocates, caregivers, families, and more who are all working tirelessly to support the MITO community, bring treatments to market, and ensure that anyone affected by MITO knows they are not alone on this journey. Working side by side, we are stronger together. We are here for you to support you in any way you need. Reach out to us, utilize the available resources, and continue to let us know how we can make your lives easier. As a reminder, today's call will be available later today on the MitoAction website and later followed up with a written transcript and all of the links and presentations. Thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend. Until next time. Thank you.